Good morning. Thank you, Missy. Great job. Take your Bibles. Turn with me this morning to Luke chapter number 1. Luke chapter number 1. We'll begin reading in verse number 26 in just a moment. Christmas can be one of those very stressful times. In fact, it can be one of the most stressful times of the year. Monetarily, the way that we Americans celebrate Christmas can be expensive. Buying From buying gifts to just meeting all the social obligations of the season can lead to January sticker shock and depression. Physical stress is also present because Christmas seems to be a time of nonstop activity. And then there is the emotional stress, loneliness and and loss seems more pronounced at Christmas than any other time. And in our home, we decided that we didn't think it was stressful enough, so we decided to paint the interior of our house and decided that, you know, ladders and Christmas trees in the same room are hard to, to deal with. It's hard to imagine anyone, though, more stressed by Christmas than the young woman that we are going to meet this morning in Luke chapter number one. This young woman received perhaps one of the greatest surprises in history, a surprise that turned her world and indeed our world upside down. We're going to look at her response to that surprise, which comes in the form of a question, a question that has been a part of the Christmas story for over 2,000 years. Now, in our series, The Birth Narratives, we've been taking note of how each of the Gospels introduces the person of Jesus differently. Matthew introduces Jesus by giving his genealogy, showing to us how he had the right to be the Messiah, the King. John takes the reader even further back to eternity past so that no one is under the erroneous Conclusion that the life of Jesus began at his birth in Bethlehem. Mark began his gospel by presenting Jesus' credentials through the character witnesses of John the Baptist and God the Father and even Satan. Now we're going to find that Luke also has a genealogy of Jesus, but his genealogy traces Mary's lineage rather than than through Joseph, and Luke begins his gospel by recording the angelic announcement of Jesus' birth. We begin our reading in verse number 26. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. 
And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, if I could just give you a concise rundown of what Luke tells us about Mary, it's very, very simple. From Luke's gospel, we are told, first of all, that her father's name is Eli. We are told, secondly, that she has a relative, and according to the King James Version, this relative is a cousin whose name is Elizabeth. We are told that she is young. We are told that she is poor. We are told that she was a woman of faith, and we are told that she is engaged to be married. There's it. That's the story. That's what we know about her. But this story has some extraordinary things to teach us about God and who he chose to be the earthly mother of his son. First of all, I want you to see that God often chooses to use those who the world would reject. As we saw in verse 26, said in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. Well, when our story opens, Mary is betrothed, or pledged to Joseph. That meant that she had formally arranged to marry, but the wedding had not yet taken place. Between the betrothal and the wedding feast, the wedding itself, was a period usually lasting from six months to a year. During that period, the couple were considered to be married They were called husband and wife, but they did not live together, nor had they consummated their marriage physically. It is at this point that God breaks into the story. He is about to ask an unknown young lady to take part in something that is so shocking as to be totally unbelievable. This he does through the agency of an angel called Gabriel. We know his name because we are told so in the text. Now, whether Mary knew his name or not, we don't know. Now, some would discount Mary. They would discount her because she was young. She is probably at this point not yet 20 years old, still in her teens. She was from a poor family. And as such, she probably would not even have been able to read for all the From all the external indicators of the world, she would not be extraordinary. She would live, she would marry, she would bear children, 
and probably never travel more than a few miles from where she was born. She was a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Some still hold Mary of little significance or honor. However, on the opposite end of the spectrum is the belief held by the Catholics that Mary was more than human. It is a faulty translation of our text, verse number 28, that gives rise to the Catholic use of the phrase, Hail Mary, full of grace. This, to them, conveys the idea that Mary had every gift, not only physical but spiritual gift as well, and that she was not only a recipient of grace, she was a dispenser of grace. Therefore, prayers could be offered to her. The ultimate extension of that was in December, made in December the 8th, 1854, when Pope Pius IX declared the doctrine of Immaculate Conception. By Immaculate Conception, most non-Catholics think that what is meant is that the birth of Jesus was the Immaculate Conception. But that's not what is meant by the Catholics. They believe that Mary also was conceived without the agency of a man. Unfortunately, this is a sad distortion, I think, which would have scandalized the heart of Mary. Mary was a woman of honor. Among women, there has never been a greater. But she is not a mediator between Jesus and men. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there is one mediator between God and man, the person of Jesus. Secondly, I want you to note that God promises an answer to man's problems. Verse 29 says, but when she saw him, she was troubled and saying, consider what manner of greeting this was. Mary didn't know what to make of all this. Try to get this in your mind. It's if a complete stranger walked up to you out of the blue and said to you, boy, do I have good news for you. This is your lucky day. God has chosen you for a special blessing. The stranger comes up with the most preposterous sounding thing you have ever heard of in your life. So how do you respond to that? Do you argue? Do you say, who are you and where did you come from? Do you call the police? What do you do in a situation like that? What Mary did was stop to consider what the appearance of this angel meant to her and what his message might require of her. In verse 30, the angel said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and he will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? The announcement that Mary received 
greatly troubled her. The prophecy of the coming of Christ was well known to every Jew. Mary, however, would have been the last to consider that it was God's purpose that she be used to bring this Savior into the world. If we look at our Bibles, the first prediction of the Savior that was going to be given to man was given very early in Scripture in in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Immediately after the fall of man in Eden, in the wake of Adam and Eve's original sin, not only were they told about the judgment that was going to come and what they had brought upon themselves by their sin, God promised them a coming Savior. In Genesis 3.15 it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He'll, here God refers to the supernatural process by which he is going to defeat Satan by the seed of woman. Not by the seed of man, but by the seed of woman. Scripture foretold the same process again 700 years later, before the birth of Christ, when the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. Now those are pretty striking words. The virgin shall conceive. I think we can all agree that in the natural course of nature, virgins do not conceive. The text stresses that fact, for in verse 30 or 27, the word virgin is a Greek word which means a young woman of marriageable age, but who has not yet had an intimate sexual relationship with a man. So just how important is this idea of the virgin birth anyway? Some in our day, even within the evangelical circle, suggest that the virgin birth is not necessary. But in fact, if Jesus was not born of a virgin, there would be no Christmas. Since the Bible clearly teaches that the virgin birth of Jesus was so, you can't consistently claim to believe anything else the Bible says if you believe at the same time that what it says about the virgin birth is wrong. If it cannot be believed at this point, why should we believe anything else it says? To deny the virgin birth is to reduce Jesus Christ to the level of an ordinary human being. If Jesus was the son of a human father and a human mother through the natural biological processes, then he is not God in human flesh. It's that simple. Belief in the virgin birth is essential to affirm the sinless humanity of Jesus Christ. If Jesus was born of natural parents, 
then he was born a sinner, just like you and me. And he would need a savior for himself. If he had sin of his own, then he could not pay for your sin on the cross of Calvary. And if he did not die as your substitute, then you are lost and without hope. Christmas is not just a story to make us feel warm and fuzzy about our family and our friends and peace on earth. At the heart of the Christmas story is that the human race is lost, alienated from God because of our sin and in need of a Savior. We turn to our story, we find that uh, earlier this same angel had told Zechariah that he and his wife were going to have a son who would be John the Baptist. This is found earlier in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. In unbelief, Zechariah asked for a sign. He wanted proof. Mary, however, doesn't ask for proof. She simply asks for clarification. Mary wanted clarification of what was expected of her so that she she could cooperate with the purposes of God. Her question stemmed from faith. How can this be? Whereas the question of Zechariah stemmed from doubt. Notice third with me, God is not limited by what is physically possible. Gabriel's answer to Mary's question is found in verse 35 through 38. She said, how can this be in that I have never been intimate with a man? And the angel responded and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, Also the Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren, for with God nothing will be impossible. The angel says, so you want to know how? I'll tell you how. He says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of God will overshadow you. That explains everything, doesn't it? No, it just gives a broad outline. Knowing that Mary is still going to have some doubts, he calls to question her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth is now in her sixth month of her pregnancy. These two situations are, of course, not the same. Mary is a young woman, not yet 20. Elizabeth is probably 70 or older at this point. Elizabeth's conception was in the normal way, whereas Mary is overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. But the point is a very simple one, and the point is that they are both examples of human impossibilities being made possible by God. Gabriel's parting words said it all, for nothing is impossible with God. What a wonderful promise. I think you should underline that sentence in your Bible. 
And that sentence is, is no less true in our day. What are you facing in your life? Fear? Nothing is impossible with God. Confusion? Nothing is impossible with God. Feeling like you're too tired to continue to live life itself? Nothing is impossible with God. Think you'll never get over your bitterness? You'll never be able to forgive. Think you'll never be able to feel capable. You think you'll never be loved. You think you'll never be healthy. You think you'll never be happy. Nothing is impossible with God. And fourth, following God is not without cost. Frederick Beekner wrote a little book of character sketches of the people in the Bible. And this is what he had to say about the angel Gabriel's encounter with Mary. He says, she struck him as hardly old enough to have a child at all, let alone this child. But he had been entrusted with a message to give to her, and he gave it. He told her what the child was to be named and who he was to be and something about the mystery that was to come upon her. You mustn't be afraid, Mary, he said. But as he said it, he only hoped that she wouldn't notice that beneath his great golden wings, he himself was trembling with fear to think that the whole future of creation hung on the answer of a young girl. Mary may have been young, but she was not fickle and she was not shallow. She was a woman of faith. With her words recorded in verse 38, Mary proved that God indeed had chosen the right young woman. Her response to the angel was, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word, And the angel departed from her. Mary's believing response was to completely surrender herself to God as his willing servant. In fact, she uses the word maidservant, which was the lowest form of female servant, which shows you how much Mary trusted God. She had experienced the grace of God and believed the word of God, therefore she could be used to accomplish the will of God. Mary's response, let it be to me according to your word, which helps us to understand that God never forces his love or his will on anyone. But don't underestimate the cost of what it meant for Mary to say yes gone. Gone are her girlish dreams of a beautiful wedding. Gone are the carefully thought out plans for her wedding day and all of her thought out plans for the wedding itself. Mary either knew or she would soon realize that saying yes to God meant public misunderstanding and shame. 
she will be married, but not before the rumors begin to spread throughout the countryside. Mary will bear God's son, but because she is unmarried, that privilege comes with a price. There will be accusations of immorality and pointed fingers and those who whisper behind her back. This was a part of the pain that Mary would have to bear all of her life. She risked everything to follow God. Mary had no way of knowing how Joseph would respond to the news of her pregnancy. She risked her future marriage. She risked losing Joseph if he did not believe. She not only sacrificed her reputation, but in fact she put her very life on the line. The law, the Old Testament Mosaic law said that a woman who had a child out of wedlock was to be stoned to death, according to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Knowing all of this, she still said, yes, let it be to me according to your word. That has to be one of the most courageous statements of faith ever uttered. We have already noted that Christmas is a stressful time. It's made even more so because some of you are carrying heavy burdens today. For some of you, Christmas will be lonely this year. Some of you are facing a financial crisis that may make your future look hopeless. Some of you realize at this time of year that some of your family is estranged. Some of you feel lonely and are far away from God yourselves. So what does God want from us? Well, he wants the same thing that he wanted from Mary. Simple faith that he will keep his word in unlikely and unexpected ways. Look to see how God accomplishes that in your life this year. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for the simple and profound and courageous faith of Mary, an honorable woman, even at such a young age, willing to take a stand for you, a very costly stand, in order to carry out your purpose to bring a Savior into the world. Thank you for her faith. And may we have courageous faith as well. Father, it may be that someone here today has never placed their faith in you, never accepted what Jesus came to this earth to accomplish. We think that Jesus came, that he took on human form, and because he was without sin, he was able to go to the cross as our substitute and pay for our sins. And if there's one person here who has never come under that understanding, then I pray that you help them today to understand that they are sinners. They can't save themselves. But that Jesus has already done everything necessary to be saved. All they have to do is accept 
the free gift that he is offering. Lord, we ask that we be able to take what we learned today and apply it in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.